Welcome to Public Finance Podcasts, brought to you by PF Magazine, the official magazine of SIPFA, the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy. Recently, Public Finance and Workday brought together a host of public sector finance leaders for a roundtable discussion on how culture change and technology can help government departments transform their finance function into a faster and smarter partner, better equipped to help the organisation succeed. The discussion delivered a number of compelling insights that all financial professionals can use to implement or improve business partnering in their organisation. And here we share those, along with other key points from that discussion. So, I think back to the 90s when I was in the Home Office and we used to call ourselves financial advisors back then rather than business partners. Um, But all told, it was the same thing. It was basically helping the narrative of finance drive change within the business and embedding yourself with those business leaders that ultimately ran those budgets, those those operations, and help, if you like, from finance to get, if you like, finance on the agenda and to get them to, if you like, make better use of what they had to make more predictable outcomes in terms of what they were doing. Uh, from a financial perspective? I, I think for me that, that you first have to start business partnering's a capability and a function. And uh, explaining that to your people is also clear. So I've got, an, I've got an absolute view that good business partnering, firstly, can be done by everybody. Um, and it is everybody's role to some shape, size or form. You can't, though, just put anyone at the table. If you are having a senior stakeholder conversation, you probably need your best people at that table because if you field your weakest players, that pulls the um, experience and the expectation to a lower level. So I'm really one for making sure that the people who are going to meetings to represent finance can represent the strength of us and are also strong enough, confident enough, experienced enough to have a voice. And I'm talking specifically about our organisation where we have a lot of operational stuff, a lot of heavy scientific stuff and a lot of heavy medical stuff where you want people who can understand and triangulate just be- not just between professional um kind of finance ways but also in understanding their effect in the business so it's really important that you're putting peers into senior leadership meetings to have peer-to-peer discussions but the other thing for me is in order for business partners to be effective there needs to be a really good framework for governance and decision making. So the governance framework has to be really there. People have to be really clear what their role is and how they link decision making together coherently. My role kind of moved from being just, I suppose, looking after kind of the management accounting and the finance business partnering into being kind of general head of reporting. So I kind of sat between the strategy team and the finance team kind of the bridge between the two to help kind of translate for people in the business kind of this is how the money is turning into the performance that we're delivering so we kind of look the business partners move from just i suppose being there to kind of cover those finance-based questions to actually measuring the performance of kind of what's happening across that each of the directorates kind of under an overarching balance scorecard i think the true sign of success that you've got a world-class business partner is they can very it's not a big hop to actually go and run the operation i think that's when you really know you've got somebody on at the top of their game and and i think that's what i like to look for in terms of the success bit is it's 
it's almost seamless between who's talking at an operational level and who's talking at a financial level um, because you know you've got all the business partnering bits in, in place. I know that within my previous roles, whenever there was a, a business um, opportunity that was identified, I, I always approach it from a, a, a place of curiosity. What is it about? How is it going to deliver? How, what, what is it that I, within my role, need to do in order to drive that to get those outcomes? And actually also, but within that, also recognizing whether there was any risks that were associated with those, that kind of process. But I think often starting from that curious place has always um, in, increased the levels of honesty and trust and helped to maintain the confidence that is required by those people sitting around that table to trust that you're going to be making a decision that is actually going to help them move in the direction they want to go. The, um, when I look at some of the commercial sector business partnering, the most successful business partners are the ones that think like chief operating officers and are actually quite close to that level in their career. So, you know, we've made that point earlier about, you know, you've got to get in the room, but you've got to stay in the room. And you've got to bring something that's relevant. And that's got to be more than, you know, this is how well you are at delivering the results as a sort of reactive measure to both the, the actual and the, and the forecast, if you like. You've got to reach an inflection point where you realise that you can't carry on, if you like, the same way with the same approach um, and, and tooling, et cetera, uh, and culture. You can make incremental change. You can make it work. You can, for example, introduce a new a new approach to planning. I don't say a new system, but a new approach to planning whereby you're more collaborative, but you're asking less of the person that you're collaborating with. So instead of giving them a very complicated workforce plan with all of the national insurance and all of the other sort of add-ons and takeaways, et cetera, around, around payroll that finance have to deal with, just deal with names deal with vacancies, deal with joiners, leavers, deal with dates, but just keep it at that simple level. So when you actually arrive into that business partnering meeting, you're not sitting there talking about the JMLs and the and the detailed taxes, et cetera, behind it. You're just you're just looking at what they've done, making sure that you understand why they've done it, helping them with any areas that might need, you know, might need a conversation around, you know, can I have you know, can I, within my succession plan, can I bring someone on a little bit earlier and then someone else, because I know someone's going off uh, a little bit later than was planned, I'd like a better handover and so on, and that would drive value. Can you have those? I know that's a fairly sort of detailed conversation, but they're fairly regular sort of conversations with a lot of the people-centric operational teams. So if you can make that culture shift so they start the process, you can give them the tooling to make it easier. Um, but you can set the expectation that you arrive as a partner and so much more is done. And you you can therefore create that time to then spend it on more interesting things. I think, to be honest with you, like having worked in a number of organisations with business partnering models, I think that legacy culture is still one of the biggest obstacles to overcome. And I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the kind of siloed way of working in some of the organisations as well, which is hopefully eroding slowly, but I think it's something that's still with us in, in some places. And I think something that Emma, just to touch on something that Emma mentioned earlier about the kind of expectations of the business, I think there's something about clarification of roles and responsibilities, particularly around budget holders. And if I'm sort of brutally honest from the centre, I don't think there's been a huge amount of um, literature and kind of guidance really put out there around responsibilities and budget holders beyond what 
the kind of delegations to accounting officers are through managing public money. So there's not really a huge amount on that expectations piece. I think the bit I'd add is is it's not just the systems we need to worry about, it's the data and the controls behind it. And and that's what I'd got one of those is that that's one of the single biggest barriers for me for if if you haven't got those basics at your fingertips in a consistent way, you you're kind of it's very, very hard to effectively business partner because you can't present things consistency, you know, you you lose your your credibility and all those things that maintain. So my personal view is I think we've got a long way to go in terms of tooling and et cetera. But my concern is we're going to start with the tooling without thinking of the processes and the data first is my observation right now. And and everything I've been involved with so far, I would call from a more central point of view, that's how the question's being asked. It's how do I get a tool to solve the problem, not how do I change so the problem goes away in the first place? And how do I just get a consistent set of data so I can do what I want with it anyway? If you listen to the IDC's recent reports, they'll tell you that if you haven't got, you know, AI and machine learning embedded within your finance systems, how on earth can you deliver a modern finance function? We can all take a, a view on that. But the whole point about data, I think, is so important now. It's not enough to have a strong chart of accounts so that we can see it down to, you know, maybe down to a cost center level etc or maybe an activity within it we need to see it down to the actual individual transactions so if you're running if you're running a you know a prison award or, uh you know public health england is running a project on a on, on another strain or something like that you can actually see it down to the individual project level you can see who's contributing who's not and you can then within real time you can then take a view but that ai and me and machine learning can then sit within that data environment and provide you with kind of automated narrative and trending analysis and find things that you wouldn't actually see with the naked eye but it can go and find these as well and complement the that you know if you like your knowledge and your capability um, with that additional level of if you like insight into the data and i think that's what's really exciting today is that we move towards a if you like a next generation of capability within that sort of finance and combining it with data and hr uh, and data around operations and all things like that. Just to sort of plug the finance convergence team and the government finance function, who do a lot around data convergence work. And I know this is something they're particularly interested in. And also um, the kind of, um, I'm not sure how many of you come across the refresh government shared services strategy from March, which has um, data convergence as a priority on that, particularly around the interoperability point, which I think is then, you know, the, the, the source data to help business partners really draw that insight from? I think business partners need to be able to react and deliver something quickly if they need to. I think a great example of that is that, um, it, you know, we'll go back to the beginning of COVID if you, if you don't mind. And I think about a customer of ours called Innovate UK. They recognised that they had staff peppered around the country, that there were a lot of staff that needed access to equipment very quickly but they had to go out and buy it locally so within 24 hours the finance and it team were able to deliver not only a covid change to the chart of accounts that allowed them to track it enabled them to introduce a new expenses process and also a fast track payment method so people could actually order uh, and, and receive and get reimbursed you know within 24 hours and i think i think that's the other side of business partnering is being able to react to the business and to introduce change when needed and not to be, if you like, 
it's taken me four months to. I mean, I think about my my daughter, who's uh, who's now a um, a matron at a hospital as opposed to at Bart's in the cardiac area. She's still, you know, she's still on Bart's books. Um, you know, having moved, you know, over a month ago, and that's frustrating for people because you know their pay is wrong. They're you know they're not getting the benefit of the new information over the team, and it's it's not quick enough. And I think that we expect more these days of our systems. And if we're not guessing it, we have to ask why. Well, here, that's a, a brilliant note to, to end on. Thank you. Listen, thank you to all of you for um, for taking part and for for coming together to share your thoughts and your views. That was a roundup of the key messages from our recent roundtable discussion in partnership with Workday, exploring how public sector finance teams can be more valuable business partners. If you would like to hear the key messages from another recent roundtable with Workday, this time on agile financial management in the post-pandemic age, then you can do so by visiting publicfinance.co.uk, clicking on the podcasts button on the menu bar and selecting PF podcasts. Many thanks for listening.